Welcome to the weekly podcast of Upper Room Christian Fellowship in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Um, I just want to address um, what's happening in Israel right now. Um, <clears throat> As you um, may know or may not know, not many churches stand with Israel um, because they feel like they're not supposed to be there either. Regardless of how you feel, Israel is Jewish. And it's true that many of them are not following the Lord at this time. But we, as believers, owe a lot to the Jewish nation and Jewish people. In fact, you have in your hand a book that's written mostly by Jews. Um, at this time, um, they have been attacked by a group of people, the Hamas, that don't want them to exist at all. Um, it's, it's not, see, what they did was they did something that was, again, heinous to anybody else that you would think in your rightful mind. But see, to them, to kill any of them is right. They want to basically wipe them off the face of the map. Now, you're going to hear stuff about Israel retaliating and they're doing it in a wicked way. No, they're not. Do you know that they actually told all the civilians to go south? They tell them to leave. They put notes on, they drop notes from the sky to tell them where they're going to bomb. Did you know that? But see, these people, Hamas and other terrorist groups like them, they use civilians as shields. They use it for propaganda. And it's sad. But see, it's important for us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Israel, just like it says in Psalm 122. To be in prayer for them. To pray that they would come to salvation, yes. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved, except through Christ Jesus. He's the only way. We have to understand that the world hates the Jew. In fact, if you read Revelation chapter 12, that's basically what it's saying. Is Satan wants to devour the Jew. But, it also says, that he also wants to devour the children of the one that was born, Jesus. That's you and me. Persecution is arising more and more to the Jew and the Christian. And it's important for us as believers to remember them in our prayers that what they need to do happens quickly. They have to protect themselves. In that culture, in that culture, you can't just hit somebody back with the same force. You have to get show more force. It's the way it is there. Otherwise, you show weakness. It's really important for Israel to stand up for what they believe in. And that is a homeland. And if you, if you really want to know the truth, they just want to be left alone. That's it. They have nothing against the Palestinians. They gave them the Gaza Strip. They did the things that the UN wanted them to do. But still, they're not going to live in peace because if you look at a map, all those Arab nations around them are against this one little country And that little country is about the size of New Jersey. 
So they'll tell you the only real true friends they have are evangelical Christians. Did you know that? They've trusted the United States for many years, but really their support comes from evangelical Christians that believe that they have a right to be there as a people. And again, I'm not going to go too deep into this, but we have to understand they are God's chosen people. He has not reneged that. Let him worry about how he works that all out. But what I'd like to do is just pray for the peace of Israel, but also pray for the salvation of the Palestinians. Many good things. There's Christians in the Gaza Strip. Many Christians. So let's lift them up in prayer. Father, we just pray for Israel. We pray for the peace of Israel. We know, Lord, that you have not taken your hands off this people. That there's a work that you're going to use them for as the time draws near to the end. But Lord, we pray that you would protect them. That you would protect the citizens. That you would protect the soldiers. That you would help them to accomplish what they need to do and to do it quickly. We pray for those in the Gaza Strip. We pray for your protection upon the civilians. We pray, Lord, that you would help them to to find shelter, to find safety. But more than importantly, Lord, we pray for salvation to come to the Gaza Strip and to Israel. Pray that they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We even pray this for Hamas. We pray, Lord, that you would strip them with dreams, that you would dominate their thoughts. Lord, that they would feel conviction from your spirit. And Lord, that they would find out that the true living God is a God of love, but also a God of righteousness and peace. Lord, we just pray your hand be upon this whole situation. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to continue to think of them in our prayers. We pray for those families that have lost loved ones. We pray that you would comfort them. We pray for those hostages, Lord, that they would be released safely and peaceably. So, Lord, we just give you this situation and we just thank you, Lord, that you're sovereign. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And, Lord, we also pray for the children. Pray that you would bless their hearts this morning. Pray that they have ears to hear, that they would become biblically-centered children. That they had a worldview that's a biblical worldview. That they would understand that you are this God that is all-knowing, all-powerful, and the only one. But you have given us, Lord, the right to come to you through Christ Jesus. That we are all your children. We just pray that that would be instilled in their hearts. Bless the teachers. Help them, Lord. Speak through them. And we just lift them all up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may go to your classes. Please walk. We're in Romans chapter 6. Good morning. Starting at verse 15. What then shall we say? Excuse me. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves? Whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart 
that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when we were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just pray as we read through these words, they're powerful, Lord. We just pray that they would help us to, to really get them down into our hearts. I pray for each of us that we would find our deliverance this morning, that we would find our freedom, that we would walk in that freedom but we'd walk in your truth. Bless this time, Lord, we pray. We pray that you'd get the glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I know it's been a few weeks, but if you can remember, we reckoned ourselves dead. That means computed ourselves. Calculated, we are dead to sin, but also alive in Christ Jesus. We are new, born again, newness to life. So now we have to choose who reigns in our lives. We present, or if you will, to present ourselves in such a way for use, to yield ourselves to the truth that we are now discussing, that you have been born again, that you are free from sin. So what if I told you something that may shock you? We may never have to sin again. Now, some of you saints are smiling at me because you realize something. You realize we're not going to be perfect on this earth. In fact, the Bible even says that. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But see, we are no longer compelled to sin. You have a choice, and so do I. We don't have to sin anymore. How do we put that to practice? Well, that's what we're going to look at in some things this morning, if you will. Starting at verse 15, it says, What then shall we sin? Because we are not under law, but under grace. Certainly not. Now remember, you already asked this question, didn't you? In verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, there are two different things. The first, verse 1, is habitual sin. Just to continue sin in a lifestyle that's not right. And he says, certainly not. Absolutely not. Perish the thought. Now here he's saying the occasional sin. Now understand, it's not like, oh, you trip and you slip. No, this is the plan, occasional sin. Can't we do that then? Can't we just have this occasional sin since we're not under law, the strictness of the law, but under grace? I mean, can't I just plan having that time of hanging out with the guys and, you know, we, we drink a little, we drink maybe too much, but it's only once in a while. And you know that's what's going to happen. Is that okay, he's saying, they're asking. Again, notice something, Paul says the same word, absolutely not. God forbid, what are you, nuts? We're going to find out why. 
Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves? Whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. To whom you present, that word means to place yourself at one's disposal, yield yourselves slaves, doulos. Now, that means bondservant. Now, it has, I'll give you five different takes on this word. One, it means that you're born into slavery. Two, it means that one who gives himself up to another's will. Third, it's one whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. Four, it's one who is bond to another that only death can break them. Five, one who serves another to the disregard of his own interests. Notice again, it's sin. Well, sin, what is it is? It is darkness in Scripture. It's darkness. In fact, in 2 Corinthians it says this, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, Satan, who do not believe lest the light of the Gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And we live in darkness and sin. But not only that, we also understand something else, that sin is also enslavement to Satan. In 2 Timothy 2.26 it says that, they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. When you sin, you are basically obeying the liar, the father of all sin. Now you can see, God forbid, absolutely not. Why would you do this? But it also it leads to death. In Second Peter 2.19, while they promise them liberty... Sin, you can sin all you want. They themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Sin leads to bondage. Bondage, what we do not want to be in anymore. We don't want to be slaves. We don't want to be slave to not only our passions and compulsions, but we don't want to be slave to Satan. God forbid. Absolutely not. What are you, nuts? Look at verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. You were slaves. It's a past tense. You were slaves. You are not anymore. You are free. Now, that word form... That word form means to impress, shape, mold, image. Get this picture. You were slaves. You're not anymore. There's a form now that you're being poured into. And that's the doctrine. What is the doctrine? It's the freedom that we have found in the Gospel. The grace that is bestowed upon you through Christ. But also, it's also given us the, the image, if you will, that we're poured into another form, another mold, another image. And what is that image? It's for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that we might be firstborn among many brethren. We are being poured into the form of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? So why would you do the occasional sin? God forbid, what are you, nuts? Are you out of your mind? Look at verse 18. And, having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Set free from sin. Free from the old nature, the evil nature. 
slaves, one whose will is swallowed up to another's will of righteousness. We have been swallowed up in Christ. No, let me give you the biblical picture. You've been clothed in Christ. Not only born again, past tense, you were slaves, you're not anymore. The light has shined into your heart. Darkness has been scattered away. So why would you go back to your former boss? You're free. And don't you know that you're being transformed, you're being poured into the form of Christ? God forbid. Saving grace. How sweet the sound. Look at verse 19. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Okay, this isn't the best illustration he's telling you. But I know it's one you can understand. Why? Because, again, the Roman Empire, at least a third of the population were slaves. Some even say half. In fact, there was a, a thought to those of the owners is that they would have all the slaves have some type of clothing that would mark them as slaves. But then they realized something. Hmm. If all the slaves started looking around and seeing how many sl- actually slaves there are in the Roman Empire, they might rebel. So maybe not such a good idea. So they ditched it. So maybe not a perfect illustration, but it's definitely something that they would understand. Let's go on. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. As you presented your body, if you will, to place yourself at one's disposal, as slaves of uncleanness, impurity, and sin, that's what it means, lawlessness, contempt, and violation of the law, wickedness, It leads to more wickedness. Darkness leads to more darkness. Sin leads to more perverse sin. The enslavement becomes deeper. It becomes stronger. So now that you are free, present, put yourself at disposal, your members yourself as slaves, submit unto Christ's Spirit. Look at this. This is nothing new. You and I know this. What? Well, sin. It's it's this delicacy, you know, it's something that you you, requi- you acquire a taste. And when you acquire that taste, it becomes something that is always in the back of your mind. Now, you and I, since we were born in this world, born in slavery, you and I developed a taste for sin. Every one of us. So, it's like, I know it tastes good, but I also know how it makes my belly very, very upset and in turmoil that it makes me puke. Oh, it tastes good going down, baby. But man, now, the days after, I'm sick. Sick of myself. Sick of falling again to the same trap, to the same compulsion, to the same sin, the same slavery. But I've been set free. Why would I do that to myself? How do we break free? We understand that the darkness of sin is real. We understand that just by looking at the world. 
I was reading, I'm going through my books because I, I have all these books in my closet and I'm pulling them out and I'm really, I'm trying to purge. I'm just saying, I'll never read that book. I'll never read that book. I'll, nobody better read that book. Whether it's commentaries that are, don't get, it's, it's books like commentaries that are very liberal and they're thinking and everything. They're just not even worth reading. I don't want anybody reading them. I have them just to compare at times, but at, now it's like I just don't even want to bother with it. So it's why I even give it to somebody. I don't want to, but I'm purging it. I'm, I'm trying to get rid of all these things. And I, I came upon this book, and I, I've read it before. Not all of it, but it just fascinates me. See, it was written in the 30s. And it's about being a virtuous woman. Now, it's funny, women. You'll laugh at this. It's written by a man. But again, it's about being a virtuous woman. And what's interesting is, is that his argument is something that was laughable when I was a kid. When I was a teenager, I would have laughed at this guy. Even in my 20s, I would have laughed at this guy. But now that I'm in my memory, that I don't laugh anymore. I see the progression. I understand it. And he was saying it's just not smart for a virtuous woman to do two things. One is dance. Because it becomes very sensual. The second, this is the 30s, is to go to the movies where you'll see these false romantic expectations, but also it puts a longing in a young woman. And then he had another young man say, yeah, what I would do was I'd bring my date to the movies because I knew she would be a little more romantic. Now, I know that sounds so juvenile now, but you want to know something? That was, if you will, and Francis Schaeffer has a book about this, was part of the beginning of the downfall of our society. Now, 2020 hindsight, looking back, we can see how it develops and corrupts. I've learned not to watch certain things, and maybe they would be laughable to you. I will not watch a teenage show anymore. Because they put thoughts of you going back. Like, you know, what if I would have done that differently? Lived that way differently, you know? And it's like, it's all foolishness. It's a chasing of the wind. It's a lie that the enemy wants to encapsulate us to thinking that there was something better, another choice you could have made. And remember this, the best choices that you're sitting right now because you know where you're going. No better choice. No better place to be. But we can see the progression of sin. So again, why even mess with it, we say? Why even touch it? It's not going to be good. It's bad. It's always bad. No matter how tantalizing or maybe even what seemingly beautiful it is, it is not especially since we know something, like Christ is now in our hearts. His Holy Spirit is in work in us to what? To bring us to righteousness. Look at that. A slaves of righteousness, actually, is the wording. Slave. A willing servant. One that gives Him over to the will of. To what? To righteousness. What is righteousness? It's integrity. It's virtue. It's purity of life. It's rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. It's godly. It's what lasts for eternity. 
It's what's truth. So we understand two things just from this verse. One is that we're under new management. There's a new boss in town, baby. There's a new owner. Don't have to listen to the old owner anymore. Now, I was somewhat of an athlete. I had a lot of coaches growing up. And it was always funny to see a coach afterwards. You know, when you weren't in on his team anymore. Or I remember one time I was in my 20s working. And this coach came back. Now, this coach was famous for saying, ah, you didn't do it good, run to the fence. He could have told me at that point to run to the fence. And I could have said, ain't doing it, buddy. You ain't my coach no more. But how funny that would have been. He said, hey, Covington, you're not doing that. You're not doing a good job here. Go run to the fence. Oh, okay, coach. <laughs> I would have been funny. Been dumb. But see, that's what we do. The enemy goes, oh... Look at this. Remember this? This is fun. Let your mind go there for a second. Minute. Two minutes. Oh, let it just permeate in your mind. Think about it. Let it soak in. Remember how much fun that is? Remember that time? And then you basically set yourself up for doing something stupid. And it may not even be related to that sin. It could be just the fact that now you're in the flesh. You get angry easy. Your patience is thin. Your mind is elsewhere. You feel separated from God. All just because of what? The old boss has told you to do something and you just went, okay, whatever you say. I'll run to the fence. Let's see, not only under new management or new ownership, it's the understanding that he is also, look at that, verse 19, the last part of it, slays of righteousness for holiness. Let's just cut it down to the chase. It means you're under new management and he's making you holy. God's made, the new manager is now making you holy. And if you want to get down to the brack stacks of it, it means you're whole. Pure. Right. God says, be holy because I'm holy. Not, be holy because I'm holy, but you're new. So now walk in holiness. Remember, we're not talking about perfection here. You and I aren't going to be perfected on this side of the sun. It's the other side of the sun that we become perfected. But again, it's the knowledge that we are under new management. I don't have to listen to those compulsions anymore. I don't have to listen to my flesh. And all of us should say, Amen, praise God, I want this. Because we live in a society that goes deeper and darker into perversion, into sin. And it's amazing how we can just just kind of compartmentalize it. Just shove it aside. Oh, it's just a little sin. It's just a little bit that I'm watching or I'm listening to or I'm doing. And all it does is it leads us again away from Him who is doing every good work, every good thing in our lives. As we sing, we sing He's faithful. Amen? And all He asks us to be is 
to be faithful with Him. To Him. Look at verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Meaning, you know, since you were a slave to sin, then you didn't have the conviction. What fruit, though, did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed of? What came out of your life during that time? Well, for most people, it's hurting people. It's hurting others. It's making a fool of yourself. Nothing good comes from sin. Can I say that again? Nothing good comes from sin. So that's something we need to remind ourselves. There's never anything good that comes from sin. There is no such thing as little sins. Because they all affect us. No, remember, not to perfection, but the understanding that we're not compulsed anymore. That we're putting our, presenting ourselves to Him who loves us. Who's going to be our Lord and Savior. And who is making us holy. As He clothed us in His own righteousness. Look at verse 22. But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end to everlasting life. Again, remember, slaves is doulos. Now check this out. You were born into the slavery of sin, that old nature. But now we've been born again with a new nature. Our wills were swallowed up to the will of sin. Now our wills have been swallowed up to the will of Christ. Our bondage to sin was to death. We are now bonded or bound to Christ in His death, bringing life. We serve sin without regards to our own interests. What was best? Now we serve Christ without regards to our own interests because He wants what's best for us. Fruit to holiness, making us into the image Christ. The end is everlasting life. And if you will, number five, willingly submit our will to His. Willingly. Because He wants what's best. He's transforming us. He's freed us. And He's taken us home. So again, why? Why would we tantalize ourselves to these sins? Why would we do the occasional sin? Why would we think it's okay? Why would we allow ourselves? God forbid! What are we, nuts? Perish the thoughts. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Duh. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus the Lord. That gift is a free gift, a favor with which one receives without any merit of his own. It's a gift from who? From God. What is the gift? Oh, it's eternal life in Christ Jesus. His work, our Lord, the one we give ourselves up to His will. Sounds all pretty simple, doesn't it? No, it's not. 
I'm not going to stand up here and say it's easy, because it's not. Because you and I have to understand a few things. The first thing that I want you to take note of is this. Once again, we are free. You're free. Regardless of what you feel, regardless what the enemy says, regardless of what the world tells you, how it compulses you, no, you are free. Not because I'm telling you you're free. God tells us we're free. Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You're free. So it's to understand that this be truth. And then all we can say is, Amen, but also focus on this truth. I am free. I am free not to do what I don't want to do. And maybe for some of us, it means saying it over and over and over and over again. I am free. Every morning waking up and saying, I am free. See, it's a choice that you and I have been given now. Now that I'm not on compulsion, now I have to willingly set myself as a slave before Christ. I have a choice. Willingly, I can say, I am free in Christ. And when the enemy comes, I can say, no, I am free in Christ. If the struggle is too hard, then I can pray, Lord, remind me, help me to know this truth. That I am free in Christ. And number two, we are under new management. I don't have to listen to the old boss anymore. I don't have to listen to his Nagging, screeching, ugly voice. Now what's interesting is is this. Prisoner in prison. You can tell them all you want. You can look at them and tell them you're free. Uh, you've heard this before and we'll get to this. But understand, you're free. Oh, I, I know you see the bars and everything, but come on. You have to just be free within yourself. And believe you're free. Walk around like you're free. Well, unless, like I'm going to tell you, a guy's not going to be free. He's going to know that when he wants to go, hey, I want to go outside. He's going to go look and there's bars. I can't go outside. I want to go see my loved ones. No, you're not going anywhere, buddy. Ah, I think I'll go down to Laszlo's and have a steak. No, you're not. You're stuck. You're in prison. No matter how much somebody tells you you're free, the reality is you're not free. You're behind bars. But now here's the thing. You take that same prisoner and you walk him outside and you really say, look, you're free. Here's the paper. You're free. But see, so many prisoners, they don't know how to live. So they'll commit a crime and get themselves back in jail because that's the only life they know. It's prison. That's all I know. See, if you will, the reality is is that we are free. Now it's time to learn how to live free. Free. You're free 
and you'll be free tomorrow, you'll be free the next day. Oh, you may think you're going to go behind those bars, but if you will, it's just your soul that you're confused and you put yourself back in that place. It's not a reality. You're free. And if you will, Jesus stands out there going, what are you doing in here again? And He waits for us to confess our sin. Lord, forgive me, I failed you again. I know, no, come on, let's go. You don't belong in there, let's go. i got work to do in you. i got work to do through you. I'm your boss now. You're under my management, not His. I set you free. And just as this knucklehead just said, when I set you free, you're free indeed. Nobody can take you out of my hand. See, if we would understand this and the deepness of the truth of it and not let it go, but every day wake up with the attitude, I'm free. Why? Because He says I'm free. And He has all authority. And His Word is truth. He cannot lie. What He says, it's done. And the third principle is a very simple thing. It's get moving. Get moving and walking in righteousness. What does that mean? Well, see, when we do things and we get ourselves into the habit of doing something, then it becomes more natural. But see, for so many of us, we're so locked into the past or our past failures or those past compulsions that continue to raise their ugly face to us, we feel like we're stuck in this rut. And so to get out of the rut, the Lord says, okay, there's certain things you need to start doing. First, you need to start thinking about things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and good report. You need to put your face in my word and stop taking it away. Are you taking the time to spend listening to me that I may continue to tell you, you are free, you are mine, I am in love with you. There's nothing you can do that will disappoint me. Why? Because I already know what you're going to do before you do it. So why don't you stay with me? You're under my management, under my care. I am the good shepherd. And I want you to know something. You are free. Now it's time to do things like you are free. Instead of running back into the prison bars, go fly a kite. Go run with the wind. Go... Stand in the rain. You're free. Now, and taking it in a biblical way, is to do godly things. Get yourself in a practice. I just mentioned one is reading the Bible. Read it. You're saying, but it's boring. No, again, get the picture here. You're getting yourself on godly momentum here. I am going to read God's Word every day. You've set up your own plan. I am going to read God's Word every day because in that, God cleanses my mind that it says in Ephesians and John 17. And also, it reveals God and His will for me and my life and those around me. All the answers I need is in this book. What keeps me from this? Oh, the hissing sound comes. With me? It's to read. But there's something else. It's to pray. Prayer is the hardest thing. And I will tell you, first and foremost, it is the hardest thing. But you do it. It is doing something. It's putting your focus on Him. That He can do all things. That He will do what's good and right for you and your life. Are we willing to submit unto Him? Are we willing to listen to Him? Because if we pray, that means we're giving it to His hand. So it also requires obedience. 
And that also includes His Word. If the Lord speaks something to you in His Word or your prayer time, then do it. Again, what we're doing is pulling ourselves out of the rut and walking in righteousness. We're learning to walk godly. We're learning to do what is right. Open the door for that lady. Pick up that toy for that child. Mow somebody's lawn. It's not, look, this doesn't get you to heaven, but this gets you heavenly minded. You feel like you're going to do something that you don't want to do? Then just like the Bible says, well, don't don't do that. Instead of stealing, use your hands to help someone. Spend time doing something for somebody else. Or do a task that God told you to do and you still haven't done. And I'll be honest with you, mine was, go through your books. You say, God told you to do that? I was sitting there praying. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do today. It's raining. I don't want to go out there. It's cold. Remember, Lord, I'm, I'm fair skinned. I don't like the cold. And I looked at that closet and I go, oh, Lord, I don't want to do that. But I felt like, you know what? I'll keep you busy. Do it. Do what keeps your mind on Him. Do what you know is right to do. Get the momentum going. Can I say something? Oh, this is going to be hard. But it's true. I have to tell you this. Are you on time for church? Do you know that's the right momentum? Lord, Sunday morning we're going to be on time for church. Why? Because again, it practices me to do what's right. And it shows you that you are the priority of my life. It's not to show those other knuckleheads, hey, look, I'm on time. That's not the point. I'm showing you, Lord, I'm going to be on time for you. I'm going to make it a priority that my kids are ready. Even if it means I will get things ready the night before. I know I'm stepping on toes. But what what does it say about that momentum? Which direction are you going? This is for all of us. Remember, it's not perfection. We're not going to be perfect here. But it's deadening that compulsion. Saying no to the one that wants to enslave us once again. Because what does that do? The momentum going the other way, it brings darkness, doesn't it? It's just like I remember when I worked for, uh, for putting in windows. And you heard the stories all the time. I'm sorry, but I'll tell it again. I, you know, this is no news for you, but I cannot stand the winter. I can't stand cold. Can't stand it. Don't like it. I worked in it for several years. I can tell you how hard it was to get up, putting on my boots and looking out there. Of course, then I started wearing tennis shoes. Going, I got to go out there, putting on all these layers, feeling like you can't walk, feeling like this having to wear gloves, hard to work with gloves, still haven't actually excelled at that. Always had to take them off, and I think I got frostbite on these two fingers right here because that's how I'd hold a nail. But I can't tell you how many times I'd sit in that truck and I'd be going, "Ah, I don't want to do this. God, I don't want to do this. You're going to have to help me get going. And you know what all it took? I opened the door. I stepped out. I shut the door. And then I got moving. And once I got moving, and then it became easier. And then it felt like I was accomplishing something. 
And then before you knew it, it was lunchtime. And then before you knew it, it was time to go home. And then before you knew it, I was in that cab thawing out with the heater on high. I didn't want to do it. Now, that's the way we are. Our flesh tells us, don't, especially the things of godliness. We don't want to do those things. Pray. Prayer is so hard on the flesh. It's so hard. Why? Because if you're praying right, it's not about you. It's about submitting your will unto Him who you're under new management. Presenting yourself to Him saying, I'm yours. What do you want me to do today? Because if you're like me, I'm tired of running my life. It's only He knows which way to go. I'm still going like this. My dad had a hat because it was funny because a lot of times he would be so busy because he was my boss when I was younger. And he had us four boys. And sometimes he would he would just confess, I don't know which way we're going. So my oldest brother gave him a hat and said, I'm going this way. And it showed two hands going like this, fingers. Because he didn't know. And sometimes that's the way we feel. But you know what? He knows. He knows every step we should take. And all He desires for us is to stay by His side. Be willing to submit unto Him. The last thing is to realize something else. Is that we're in a race. There's a finish line. We're going home. We're running home. Did you know that? Now, it's a walk with the Lord. But if you will, in the flesh, it's running. We're running. Paul says, I beat myself under submission so that I will not fall to these things of the flesh. He also says, do you not know those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Run full blast. You're going home, gang. I know some of you are younger than others, but still, you're still going home. That's why you're in the seats you are in. I don't know if you know this, but when you're in Christ, you have a home. An eternal home. And that's where we're going. Our eyes are focused on Him. It's not to the left. It's not to the right. It's I'm going home. I'm running home. In Hebrews it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by great cloud of witnesses, again, if you look at that in context, He just went over the hall of faith. In chapter 11, he's talking about all these believers. Now, we have the privilege that there's a lot more clouds up there of people have gone before us. They are before us. They made it. They're home. They're already there. So the privilege is ours is to, again, lay aside every weight, every, <coughs> excuse me, every motive, everything that would keep us on this race, on this track, this course. Every sin which so in easily ensnares us. It's like my wife teaches these first graders and it's funny because she tells me these stories. It's like there's some of them that they're like, okay, we're doing it. Oh, what's that? What's that over there? No, back over here. We're doing, you know, whatever. We're doing math right now. Sit down. But any noise. What's that? Like the squirrel, right? And that's the way we are sometimes. We're running the race and all of a sudden we're going, oh, what's that over there? 
Laura's going, what are you doing? Well, I'm just going to look over here. It's pretty. Of course it's pretty. But it's keeping you from being focused on what's most important. Hey, can we get this out of the way? A lot of sin is pretty. It is. But the reality of it is rotten to the core from the inside out. You and I, we've been born again from the inside. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. For as it says in Titus, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, not having been justified by His grace, that now having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He's at work. He's doing His thing. And all I'm supposed to do is run. Run, Forrest, run. But instead of running all over the place, we have a direction. And He runs right with us. And He's making us holy. So let us run the race with endurance. The race that He set before us. I put He in there. Run. Run that you may win. Run that you may say, just as Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Some of you are growing weary. Some of you are becoming discontent. Some of you think the problem is other people. Some of you haven't got it focused that God always looks at us and says, come here, I want to work on you. Don't worry about what God's doing in somebody else's life. What's He doing in your life? How can we put these things to practice in such a way, again, that transforms? Not that we're doing the work, but if you will, we're presenting ourselves to the Lord that He may do the work. And I I just continue to do those things I know I need to do. So that I may not only be in His presence, which is the most important, but also that I may stay on track with Him. Because I'm going home. Oh, it may be 10 years from now, maybe 20. It may be 30 years from now, I don't know. But I'm going home. You are too. Let's stay focused. Let's remember these truths. That you are free. And so am I. You stand. The good news is that God is all about today. Because He tells us, yeah, you failed yesterday, but remember you confessed it, so remember it not. Let's go. I'll think about that. If you were at work and you failed, then you have, again, the pain and the suffering. Even though you told your boss, I'm sorry I made that mistake. But still, you have to go in and face everybody. And like, oh, man. And the boss reminds you, yeah, somebody's not having lunch today for obvious reasons. And you're like, but see, every morning, that's not what God does. God looks at you and goes, are you ready? 
There's a race to be run. Let's go. But Lord, look what I did. I know. You don't have to do that. You're free. But, you, but Lord, look what I, I just... Yes, I know. Did you confess it? Yes. Then let's go. Today's a new day. What will you do? How will you stay in the lane? How will you continue with Him? How will you do something different today? Don't worry about tomorrow. He also asks you just today. Start today. Let's pray. Father, our confession to You is very simple. We have failed in this miserably. We ask for Your forgiveness for those things that, Lord, continually rise up to ensnare us. Our prayer, Lord, this morning is that we too would understand the truth that we have been set free. That we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to the righteousness of Your Spirit in us, transforming us, pouring us out into a new mold. And that mold is perfect. Lord, my prayer for each of us is that we would run with endurance that we would cast off the weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and that we would now begin the momentum of righteousness and whatever that entails. Maybe for some of us, Lord, it means to stop doing a certain thing that always brings us to the temptations that ensnare us. Maybe it's things we watch, things we listen to, things we read, people we hang out with, the things we do. Whatever it is, Lord, we just pray that we would lay them at Your altar and say, Lord, we want to run. We want to go with You. We want to go home. So, Lord, my prayer for each of us, that You would minister to each of us and help us, Lord, come to grips of this truth. Especially, just as we went over, we are free. We're under new management. We need to do those things that are right and continue on this race going home. We pray all these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.